Mrs. Weston stopped for a moment, nodding her head up and down to emphasise the importance of what she had said, and to raise the expectations of Mrs. Antrobus to the highest pitch as to what was coming. And if you ask me where I think she was going and what she was going to do, she said, I believe she was going out to lunch and that she was going to one of those houses there, just across the road, or she made a bee-line across the green towards them. Well, there are three houses there. There's Mrs. Quantock's, and it couldn't have been that, or else Mrs. Quantock would have some news of her. Or Colonel Boucher's, and it wouldn't have been that, for the Colonel would have had news of her. And we all know whose the third house just there is. Mrs. Antropus had not completely followed this powerful reasoning. But Colonel Boucher and Mrs. Quantock are both here, eh? said she. Mrs. Weston raised her voice a little. That's what I'm saying, she announced. But who isn't here whom we should expect to see, and where's his house? It was generally felt that Mrs. Weston had hit the nail on the head. What that nail precisely was, no one knew, because she had not explained why both Olga Braceley and Georgie were absentees. But now came the climax, bang on the top of the nail, a shrewd straight stroke. So there she was, having her lunch with Mr. Georgie, said Mrs. Weston, now introducing this name for the first time, with the highest dramatic art, and they would be seeing round his house afterwards. And then, when it was time to come here, Mr. Georgie would have remembered that the party was Hightum, not Titum, and there was Miss Braceley not in Hightum at all, nor even Titum, in my opinion, but Scrub. No doubt, she said to him, is it a very grand sort of party, Mr. Pilson? And he couldn't do other than reply, for we all received notice that it was Hightum, mine came about twelve, he couldn't do other than reply, yes, Miss Braceley, it is. Good gracious me, she would say, and I've only got this old rag on. I must go back to the Ambermere Arms, and tell my maid, for she brought a maid in that second motor, and tell my maid to put me out something tidy. But that will be a great bother for you, he would say, or something of that sort, for I don't pretend to know what he actually did say, and she would reply, Oh, Mr. Pilson, but I must put on something tidy, and it would be so kind of you if you would wait for me while I do that, and let us go together. That's what she said. Mrs. Weston made a sign to her gardener to proceed, wishing to leave the stage at the moment of climax. And that's why they're both late, she said, and was whirled away in the direction of the bowling green. The minutes went on, and still nobody appeared who could possibly have accounted for the three-lined whip of Hightums, but by degrees Lucia, who had utterly failed to decoy Lady Ambermere into the place of thrones, began to notice a certain thinning on her lawns. Her guests, it would seem, were not in process of dispersal, for it was a long way off seven o'clock yet, and also none would be so ill-mannered as to leave without shaking hands and say what a delicious afternoon they'd spent. But certainly the lawns grew emptier, and she was utterly unable to explain this extraordinary phenomenon, until she happened to go close to the windows of her music-room. 